Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What a great day that will be when the Lord returns for us. Or we go to be with Him and all of a sudden the darkness is lifted. Isn't, won't that be good? The darkness of a sinful world, the things that we you know, have to deal with day to day. So on, uh, on Monday night, May the 25th, about 8.30 p.m., our nation was shaken. Violently shaken when George Floyd died in the custody of four Minneapolis police officers. And I think the image that is burned in our, in our minds is the image of, of a, a white officer with his, neck, his, his knee on the neck of a black man who kept repeatedly saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. 16 times. Uh, and since then, what has followed it's been more than two weeks now of uh, protests, right? Big protests by people of all races saying this is, you know, unacceptable. And, and, uh, and then a smaller group of people who, you know, from this side and from this side and people who just have their own selfish motivations turning to violence, rioting, looting. Uh, and so it has been such a challenge to us. And so this is spread across our whole country, right? Not just in, in Minneapolis, spread across the whole, and even to other places in the world it is now spread. And once again, the issue of ra- racism has risen into our consciousness, you know, through the incessant and sensationalism of the media, but probably more so from the visceral shock of the video that most of us have probably seen of a white officer with his knee on the neck of a black man as he took his final breaths. It was brutal to watch. And if it was brutal to watch, how much more for George Floyd as his life slipped away? It's heartbreaking. It really is, it's heartbreaking. And it's demanding our attention. And while it's abundantly clear that George Floyd's death was caused at least in significant part by the officer's knee on his neck, uh, whether or not it was actually racially motivated is still unclear. Now the reading I've done is I find that this officer may have had a sense of uh, unease around African Americans. But whether or not this specific event was actually racially motivated is still unknown. But what I want to say to you today is that with respect to where we find ourselves today and with the ways that we need to respond, it really doesn't matter whether the officer's actions were racially motivated. Because the officer was white. And the victim was an unarmed black man. And this is a scene that, that is all too familiar. And, you know, heaviness for black Americans. 
In fact, it was just a little more than two months ago, you remember, the other, the, this, this unarmed black man jogging, you know, these two white men were involved, they took his life, and one of them was a, had been a police officer and, and uh, worked as an investigator for the district attorney for 24 years, and it seems like his relationship with law enforcement almost allowed him to get off without any charges at all. And obviously the black community is very sensitive to these kinds of events. And based on the history of our country, I think it's understandable that they are. And I know we could argue about statistics, right? We could argue about statistics, about the frequency of these kind of events. We could argue about whether or not white men or black men are more likely to be shot. But I really think that argument right now misses the point. The point is that racism, particularly white against black racism, keeps rearing its ugly head, reminding us that racism is still an unresolved issue in our nation. And even though our nation has made tremendous progress in my lifetime, tremendous progress on this issue, racism is still an issue that needs to be addressed in our culture and possibly even in our own lives. So if we're gonna know what we're supposed to believe and how to respond, where do we need to go? We need to go to God's word, don't we? Okay, we wanna to go to God's word about those things. Then we can respond in a way that pleases the Lord, in a way that shows compassion to those who are hurting the most, in a way that points people to Jesus the one who loves them most. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go to his word. Father, we come to you now, and uh, boys, we've already worshiped you, and so encouraging, Lord, to remember who you are and what that can mean in our lives. And I pray now, Father, as we are in this time and these circumstances, and that your spirit, Lord, will be mightily at work in our lives, that we can understand what your word says, and as we understand it, Lord, we might, your spirit also might help us to see how it applies in a big picture way, but also, Lord, how it applies to us individually. And so we ask for your working here. We, you've always been faithful to speak to us from your word, and I trust again that you'll do that today. And Lord, if, if we're holding back right now in any way, I pray, Lord, you'd stir our hearts and, and, and encourage us, Lord, strongly encourage us to say, no, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to open up my heart and mind to God today to hear what he has to say. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's go to the Word. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. This passage is um, just going to provide kind of um, an over, um, I don't know, overarching idea for the things that we need to look at today. First John chapter four, there's a Bible under the chairs there if you don't have one. And we're gonna be on page 1401, page 1401. John, first John, John's first letter, chapter four. Let's read verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? 
And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So if we're going to be followers of Christ, are we to love God, right? We need to love God supremely above all else. But you can't say I'm loving God if you are harboring hatred, ill will towards your fellow man. And I know brothers here, maybe it's referring specifically to Christians, but I really believe it would extend beyond that, this truth, too. We have brothers that are also our fellow man. They aren't spiritual brothers necessarily, but there are brothers in humanity. So, um, with that in mind, I mean, when we read that, is there any room for racism in the heart or mind of a Christian? There isn't, is there? Racism is not loving in any way. So to really understand these things, let's, let's pull back here a little bit and, and ask a few more questions. So let's talk about, first of all, we, we want to confront racism, okay, from a biblical perspective. What is race? What do we mean by race? Well, you look that up and right away Google's dictionary pops up and says this, that race is each of the major divisions of humankind having distinct physical characteristics. Okay, so that's kind of a really big broad idea. So Encyclopedia Britannica takes it a little bit deeper. It says it's the categorization of people primarily on the basis of their physical differences. And then they give an example of the United States. And it says this, in the United States, for example, the term race generally refers to a group of people who have in common some physical traits such as skin color, hair texture, facial features, and eye formation. Now, so we get that, right? We have blacks, whites, Asians, Latinos, Hispanics, however you want to fit that in there, uh, indigenous peoples of you know, different continents. We have all those things that would fit this kind of a description. But just stop and think about this for one moment. If we're talking about physical descriptions, couldn't we also say there's a race of people who have blue eyes and earlobes that attach and don't hang loose? and have feet that are bigger than size eight. That's a little, you know, not as quite as noticeable, but you understand that's what this kind of an understanding of race is, right? And the Bible does not acknowledge race in the same way that our modern culture does. The Bible has a different approach. I mean, God has a different approach to this, okay? The Apostle Paul, when he was talking with the philosophers in Athens, uh, and he was, you know, wanting to get to, to talk to them about Jesus and their relationship with him, he goes back to the beginning of the history of the world and talks about what God did when he created everything. And he says this in Acts chapter 17, he says, God who made the world and everything in it has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So, Everybody around the whole world are made from what? Of one blood. That means we are all what? Blood relatives. Okay? God's intention with respect to race is that there would be one race. The human race. The human race. Now, the implications of that is that if we are human beings, that every other thing that might be different about us is of lesser importance. Okay? That makes sense? Things like skin color, where you live, uh, 
All these kinds of things are of lesser importance than the fact that we are the human race, the human race, if we go back, and that has fallen into sin and needs a savior. And God so loved, what? The world. He loved the human race, people. So much that he sent his son to die for us, okay? And so this is God's view of race in that sense. And you know that it's what's interesting, is as I was doing some research on this, that, that modern science really in just the last few years has started saying, hey, wait a minute. When we talk about race like we have, that really isn't even accurate, doesn't make sense, right? They're getting it. Okay, what the Bible has already told us. Um, in fact, let me just, just go here for a little bit. Um, the prevailing view in our culture, and I say prevailing, I should say it, it isn't necessarily the majority view. It's, it's hard to tell for sure, but um, the prevailing view among, amongst those who would be the shakers and movers when it comes to science when it comes to sociology and, and, and all of the sciences and how we look at America, believes in what I would call random chance evolution. They believe that everything, you know, just, there's somehow rather there was nothing and then there was something and, and you know, the Big Bang and it all proceeded and, and things really, because they, 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 the problem is they, they can't even talk consistent with their belief. But they, they talk, they say that everything is random, everything is by accident. By accident, these chemicals came together and came to exist and eventually results in life and racism. And then, then Charles Darwin comes along in the mid-1800s and says that, hey, here's the mechanism. It's survival of the fittest, right? Those who are the strongest and most adapted survive, and those who aren't don't. And what I want to say is this, is if you buy into that, if, if, you know, if you've heard this and you haven't even thought about it, right? Those of you who are watching online, those of you who are here, you don't really think about it. Evolution as a belief about how everything came to be provides justification for racism. Do you understand that? Because if, if, if people like me are stronger than people like you and we can keep you down, it makes sense, right? Because we want to survive. And so, and so racism is just a natural outgrowth of an evolutionary view of life. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who's ever held a Christian view of life hasn't been a racist. That doesn't mean that. People are people. But I just want you to see that. Okay, so this, this is not God's view of, of race. Uh, isn't like our current view of race. And that doesn't mean that God does not value the differences. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them with the potential genetically for every human being that has ever lived or ever will live. You get that? Well, what does that mean? That means within Adam and Eve was the potential for every skin color that exists. In fact, I think if we really want to think honestly about genetics and how this all works, Adam and Eve were probably mid-brown. Okay? And every skin color has come from that. Every facial feature has come from that. Every hair thing has come from that. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it all goes back to them. And God is the creator of that. He is a creative creator. Aren't you glad that everybody doesn't look like me? Wait, what are you laughing about, huh? 
the, the, the variation is just like, and it, it, this is God's creation, it's how he made it. God does value the differences. In fact, in Revelation, we see this. He celebrates those differences. And John says, as he sees in heaven, he says to God, you have redeemed this to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So all different kinds of people from all over the world will stand in heaven with us before the Lord. And we will be one people with a vast array of creative differences. And I'm excited about that, something to look forward to. Now, so even though God's view of race isn't what the current view of race is, for me to be able to talk about this today, I need to use the word race the way it's predominantly understood in our culture today, okay? Um, so that is what I will do. I'll use that understanding. So that's what race is about. Well, what is racism then? Racism is making a judgment about the value, character, or abilities of a person or group of people based primarily on their race. Oh, you have eyes that look different than mine and a skin color that has a different tone than mine. You must be smart. Or, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's making evaluations like, like that. You know, uh, someone's character. You know, your character is this, or, or you're more valuable than this person because of these physical attributes that you have. And it's just, let me just say it on the top, it's foolishness. Like I, I mentioned earlier, if you saw someone with blue eyes and earlobes, and let's change it, let's say that hang down, they don't hang attached, right? Does that make you a good person? Does that make you a bad person? We'd say that's ridiculous, wouldn't we? Well, do you understand that skin color and other facial features and, are exactly the same kind of difference? We would say that's foolish, wouldn't we? That's foolishness. Um, it's interesting in Brazil, in fact, what I say is this is there's a condition of the human heart we talked about sin coming in the world and humans are born sinful and, and selfish, self-focused and, and that kind of thing leads to racism. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But what you see is that there are nations where what we consider to be race is not an issue. When we visited Brazil in 1997, what we found in the churches was when I talked about abroad, you know, how different, we saw this whole spectrum of people, all different races, mixed races, all this kind of stuff, right? And it didn't matter a lick to them. But you know what they struggled with? They struggled with being prejudiced about socioeconomic issues, about class issues. So racism comes from where? The human heart, a sinful human heart, human hearts that have been damaged by sin. All right, so it's, it's about making a judgment, again, value, character, abilities based on race. And then racism, we need to understand then, in light of what we're all seeing, is a rejection of God's view that every human being is intrinsically valuable. Intrinsically means in and of themselves. All right, they don't have to do anything, bring anything, to but they are valuable because they are human beings. They're intrinsically Valuable. Think about it. In the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so 
every human being has been stamped with the image of God. Now, sin has, you know, got in the way of that being clear. You know, sin has scarred things and brought cracks and problems, but the image is there. And that means the value is there. The nearest thing I think that we come to seeing racism in, referred to in the New Testament narrative, is the feelings between Jews and Gentiles. And more Jews about Gentiles than Gentiles about Jews. But the Jewish people, you know, they had their, their relationship with God and their religious views and then their health things that they did and they felt that anybody who wasn't a Jew was unclean. And you had to be very careful about your interactions with them because they could bring defilement into your life and you'd have to then go through all these processes to get undefiled. And, and so it, it's very much like a racist view. Oh, you're not a Jew. Okay. And uh, so that was an obstacle. If, if that had remained in Christianity after these first Jewish people became followers of Christ, there would be no Christianity as we know it today. And so God breaks through that. And one of the ways he broke through that was bringing Peter to a place where he went and preached the gospel to Gentiles. God told him to do it. So he goes and does that. And as, as he sees the response and he sees what God's doing, we see this in Acts chapter 10. It says this, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so he's saying very clearly here that God, has, what we consider race or any of those kind of things, God has no use for them. He does have use for the individual and their personal response to him and a relationship with him. And so this should tell us something right away, that, that while there are big issues that are nationwide, worldwide, there, there are issues that sometimes might be systemic kinds of issues, that all those kinds of things, that ultimately the real issue is the issue of individuals and their understanding and response to what's really true, okay? Spiritual issues. So two kinds of racism that we run into, and there's probably a spectrum, but one is we would call overt racism, right? This is where someone is, I believe this race is inferior to my race, okay? Uh, we would say white supremacists are on that, that end of it, okay? And then there are groups on the far end of that the other way. Uh, but you don't have to be a member of some group to be an overt racist. It's just you hold a view that on the basis of race, somebody's inferior, somebody's superior. That's overt, right? In your face. And I, I, I know these people exist, but I don't hardly ever run into them. But it's out there. And it's very damaging. Very damaging. Okay? A bigger problem, I think, is subtle racism. At least for us. Subtle racism is, is you know, it's when we aren't consciously prejudiced. But we still find ourselves with certain things that come up that... You know, we meet someone and the reality of their race makes us feel a certain way, okay? That's part of a mixture. Um, we may make those kinds of evaluations and not even realize it. Uh, if we see on TV uh, an angry crowd yelling and protesting and they're all white, we might go, huh. If they're mostly black, we, if you have this sense of what are they doing? Wait a minute. What's going on in my heart here? You see, 
That's where it's more subtle. We have to be much more careful. And one of the subtle ways this thing comes on, and it's more the way I would probably have struggled and could still potentially struggle, and that's that I am not a racist. I really even, I have even the things I just traded, I have very few of those kinds of subtle things. You know, I might notice it once in a while, but I just don't have that. But the problem is when I say, well, I'm not a racist, and I go, all set. It doesn't let us off the hook for caring about the issues that are in the lives of people around us, okay? All right, so that's the thing. That's what racism is and what it's about. Well, where did racism come from? Well, it's easy to trace it back right away to the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Okay, the rejection of God and his ways. Adam and Eve ate from what I heard another preacher recently called. He says, it's the I get to decide what's wrong, right and wrong tree. <laughs> okay? And so that was the beginning, that initial. So it is sin that has brought this. It's a rejection of, of God and his ways and how he views it. In Romans, the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 talks about those who reject God and reject what he says is true about the world. It says this in Romans 1, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Probably most likely serving, worshiping and serving themselves, but a created being instead of the creator. And then he goes on and he lists some of the kinds of things that show up. And I just want to highlight a few of them. He says this, he describes them as being filled with all unrighteousness, Envy, murder, strife, evil-mindedness, violent, proud, boasters, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, all characteristics rightly associated with, athe uh, with racism. And I'm not saying anybody who says those things is a racist, but if you are racist or you harbor some racism, these kinds of things come out. Because racism in any form is a rejection of what God says about things. Okay? It's a pushing back on him. So therefore, it is a spiritual issue. It is an issue of the human heart. It's an issue that comes from having been born with a sinful nature. And if you haven't received Christ as Savior, you still have it. And if you did receive Christ as Savior, you're recovering from it. Okay, we all deal with it. So what then is a Christian response to racism based on these things that we've seen? A Christian response to racism in general terms is this. First, we must embrace God's view of every human being as intrinsically valuable. You need to settle that. Settle that in your mind. And understand that that ought to mean something in your life. And then secondly, we must reject racism in all its forms. Whatever form it takes, we should reject it. Third thing, we must be open to recognizing subtle racism in our own lives and seek to eradicate it. Now David wrote about this issue, not about racism, but about this need to look at our lives and ask God to help us to see. In uh, Psalm 139, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. The implication is you know it better than me. And know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. Show me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. And so we need to, to be open to seeing that. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I don't wanna do that. I mean, I need to do it, and, I, and I, so I do wanna do it because it's what God wants me to do. But you understand what I'm saying? Naturally, I'm not a racist. I'm cool, I'm going about my business here. No, no, God, just please show me anywhere that I'm missing this. And, and we're talking about racism today. We could be talking about other issues. This is an approach to life as Christians we need to have. God, show me. 
show me and I'll respond, okay? And then next, we must engage with those who are the recipients of racism. We must engage with them. Romans chapter 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And you might say, well, I don't even know any. Right now we're talking about whites and blacks and this kind of racism. I don't even know any blacks to do that with. Do you know there are blacks? Excuse me, I, that's not the, my whiteness, I'm sorry, sometimes in my understanding doesn't come out. Black people, okay? Do you know any black people? I mean, that, you, you know that they exist. Are you brokenhearted over what they experience and have experienced and, and how it affects them negatively? Weep with them. Feel that pain, okay? And then as God gives opportunity, you can share that and communicate if you happen to know someone who is a different race than you, okay? And then we engage too. We need to be ready to do something. Okay. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25, and he's talking about the end times and the judgment. And he, he says this to people who served him. He said, inasmuch as you did, did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it what? To me. And so know that as you engage with those who are hurting, you engage with those who are struggling with the circumstances that they're in, you're not just engaging with them, you're engaging with Christ. Okay, that's, that's pretty clear, isn't it? That's where our hearts need to be. And then, then finally, this. We, we must be supportive of laws and reforms that actually help solve the problem. Now, I worded that very carefully, tried to. That actually helps solve the problem. We're going to hear lots of ideas that you're gonna look at and say, that doesn't make any sense, that isn't going to help solve the problem. Fine, but what you don't want to do is say, okay, throw that out. We don't need to fix, no, no, no. If, if there's something that can be improved, something that can do better, we need to be supportive of it, okay? We gotta, boy, <laughs> I see it mostly in social media, but we gotta not be knee-jerk Christians. If you're a conservative in your politics, don't be a knee-jerk conservative. If you're very liberal in your policies, don't be a knee-jerk liberal. How about just don't be a jerk? <laughs> and I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But we are just, can be so quick sometimes. And I'm saying don't be so quick, be open. Actually listen. Do you know what, that, that just speaks volumes to someone who's talking to you. If you want to argue and shut them down, they aren't gonna feel valued by you or by Jesus. So that's not the goal, okay? All right, so those are some general Christian responses to racism. So let's, let's talk now, because the sermon is the idea of confronting racism in our culture and in ourselves. And secondly, is, is how do we respond to the issues that are out there and they get put in our face and, face and that we gotta deal with. Let me just illustrate to you, I think, one of the ways that we need to respond to a particular issue. Because I want to say something to you today that is absolutely true. Okay? It is true. And I state it without hesitation. I state it without any caveats or conditions. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. 
And, you know, for me, and I pray for you, the problem I have, you know, in, in initially in being able to say that is because I say, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm associating myself with here, right? Because what I want you to know is I'm not talking about organizations here. I'm not talking about political stances. I'm talking about people, the way God views them, and black lives matter, no exceptions, absolutely, every time, no caveats. And we need to be able to say that. Um, Yeah, thank you. Let me just look. I don't want to forget something I want to say here. Right. You see, here's, here's sort of the thing. Uh, you know, we want to, there's a tendency for us to say, oh, yes, black lives matter, but this rioting isn't right. Well, black lives matter, but, yeah, but, but all lives matter. Black lives I'm saying to you, when you do that, you communicate. The word but sometimes comes across like this. I'm saying this, but that's not really what I mean. That's not what's really important. This is what's important. And I teach you that all the time, don't I? But put the truth on the right side of the butt. And so we want to watch out that we don't butt ourselves out of personal responsibility. Okay? And... And you have to understand, those of us who did not grow up with dark skin have not experienced what those who have have experienced. We haven't. Um, I didn't grow up every day with an awareness that because of the color of my skin, there are people out there who devalue me. I didn't grow up with because of the color of my skin, there are actually some people out there who hate me. I, I didn't grow up with that. I don't think most of you did either. And so we need to understand that. And this is why we need to be able to affirm, hey, your life matters. And, and to say in appropriate times, appropriate circumstances, and I think as much as anything, whether you ever end up getting to say it or actually say it, you need to feel a freedom in your soul to say black lives matter without having to go, yeah, yeah but. You get it? You know, Tim Scott, he's a senator, United States senator, I think senator from North Carolina or South Carolina, I can't remember, black man, godly Christian man, I very much respect him. And he and Trey Gowdy having a conversation, I was listening to them, and they were talking about this issue. And Trey Gowdy said that Tim Scott here has been stopped since he's been in Washington, D.C. seven times by the police for whatever reason, I mean, not major things he did wrong. Trey Gowdy has never once been stopped. Tim Scott's black, Trey Gowdy's white. And Tim Scott says, yes, it's just something that you kind of live with. I never lived with that. And you understand that parents of black children, particularly black boys who grow as they grow into young men, feel like they compelled to have a conversation with their, their young men to say, listen, if you have an interaction with the policeman, you must be extremely respectful. You must make sure you do nothing to make him angry. You just really control yourself in that situation. Well, I, I, when I first said that, I thought, well, that sounds like a good thing. I'd tell my boys that. 
But the difference is this. If I thought to tell my boys that, it wouldn't be because I was motivated by the fact that if they didn't, they might be killed. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Like I said, how frequent is that or not doesn't matter. This is the reality of where people are living. I've never had to do that. And so this is why I think that, you know, we, for whatever reasons, if you find yourself, you remember the Fonz, Fonzie in Happy Days, and he was supposed to say he was wrong? Could he do it? I was, I was, he could not do it. But I want to say to you, and this is a much more serious thing, but if you find yourself to say black lives matter and you find yourself going, you need to find out what's going on. What is this keeping me from this? Now, so the next thing is this. Well, don't don't all lives matter? (laughs) Yes, they do. There's a but here, though, okay? Yes, they do. Imagine this situation. You are at your house, and, and all of a sudden there's a kitchen fire, and you're trying to put it out, and all of a sudden it starts to get bigger. And you go to look for your cell phone, and your cell phone's in the fire. <laughs> and so you run outside, you look, and there's a neighbor across the street. Can you run over there? Because you need to call the, the 911, right? And you run over there and say, listen, my house is on fire. I have to. And he says, well, we all have houses. We all care about our houses. Well, yeah, but, but mine's on fire. Well, we all have houses. Everybody has houses. We all care about it. Well, none of us want our houses to burn up. But mine is. Right? Well, don't all lives matter? Yes. But those who are black are saying, yes, but ours is on fire. You see that? And so when, when we respond to black lives matter with, well, all lives matter, we are saying we really don't care that much about where you're at. This is how we are going to deal with it. Now, it's just a matter of timing, really. So here's another truth, though, the biblical truth. Black lives matter because all lives matter. God is the one who determined that, isn't he? God is, we've seen that from the very beginning. All lives matter to God. And therefore, I can say, without any caveats, without any exceptions, black lives matter. I want you guys to be free to have that feeling that I can say that. And again, we're not talking about organizations, political stance. We're talking about people. And I say to you that sometimes we may need to be willing to be made uncomfortable because if I say this, it walks me kind of close to some things I'm, I don't like. Get over it. God has called us to walk in tension sometimes. All right? All right, so let's talk about riots and, 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 and protests. So in our nation, First Amendment gives us the right to peaceably assemble and to redress our grievances and to, you know, the, the speak. And so protesting has a long and righteous history in our country, okay? It does. And uh, I think it's actually encouraging to see At least in this sense, so many people from so many backgrounds, from so many skin colors and all these things all come together and say, this this is unacceptable. That's a good thing, okay? And and I think we need to see it that way, try to view it that way. Uh, A lot of us will never be the kind of people who are going to go protest. That's okay. But what we don't want to do is mix up this idea of these protesters with those who 
have become violent. Now, let me say this, because we know that, that I think there are groups on both extremes of this spectrum who, who want to see this stirred up and want to see the problems. And then there are people in the middle who are just criminal and say, what an opportunity. But there are also, I'm sure, sometimes some, some black people who are frustrated and they become angry and, and they, they you know, get involved as well. It's not right. It's criminal. But I do want to say this, and, and I talk about the middle group there that I just described. Um, Proverbs says that, talking about a thief, it says if someone steals because they're hungry, and I'm paraphrasing, people understand, right? People understand, but they still have to repay. So it's still criminal, okay? And so I would say to you that, even if, so we have people in the middle and, and they're, they're angry, they're frustrated, and so they're lashing out and they're, you know, and it, it's, I think we can maybe understand, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. said, right? That, that rioting, violence is the language of, of the, those who feel unheard. Zero justification, but can we understand? Let's be understanding people. Doesn't make it right, it's still wrong. Okay? And uh, so, protests and riots, and let's, so let's have that kind of perspective about it, I think. And then, oh yeah, law enforcement officers are people too, okay? Human government is established by God to control you know, this idea of right and wrong, to do justice, and uh, that includes the idea of a police force, okay? Um, the law enforcement officers are people. That means sometimes Somebody's gonna do something wrong. And it needs to be addressed. We don't excuse because they're just people, right? But we need to recognize that th this is a human thing. This isn't a, a necessarily an organizational thing. And, and what we, and I wouldn't just say on the record, I, I actually wrote something on Lester's page early on in this thing about our policemen and all that, that uh, the vast majority, vast, vast majority of our policemen Police women are, are good people who, who do what's right and they are worthy of our respect and they put their lives on the line for us that in a moment's notice they could be seriously harmed or killed, right? To protect us. So we need to be supportive of this in this, but we cannot be supportive of the wrongdoing. And I, I don't think the most the majority of the police are supportive of the wrongdoing. Okay? And so we need the police to police themselves. And if they have someone who is racist in their ranks, they need to say, this isn't going to work. The views either have to change or you need to change. Because we give them, way, we give them a lot of authority, right? You give them the, the right to carry a gun and if need be, use it. And so if someone has those kind of views, they shouldn't be. And sometimes police officers are brutal and has nothing to do with race. Again, those officers need to be identified and removed, hopefully, before it happens. Okay, and so, and maybe there needs to be some way, some changes that would help them to do that. Because the brotherhood of being a policeman is a very strong thing, and what we don't want is for them, uh, them, that sounds like a them, I don't mean that, but we don't want it to be used as a cover that allows people to remain police officers who shouldn't be, right? Okay, so that needs to happen. But overall, I, we need to respect and value our police officers and be, but be open and honest and say, that's unacceptable. This cannot be. Something needs to change, if at all possible, to prevent that from happening again. Okay, so we need to do that. 
And then finally, forgiveness all along the way. Forgiveness all along the way. And um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, first of all, God has forgiven us everything, hasn't he? So how dare I not forgive somebody else? All right. Secondly, the reality is here is that, I mean, if I think about it, I don't quite know who's actually sinned against me much in this whole thing. Except I can say I'm a citizen and, you know, but, but so the idea is I still need to have a forgiving attitude, right? A forgiving heart, ready to reconcile, whatever. That needs to be a mark of who I am as a Christian, and you too. I'm a forgiver. I'm not looking to hold this against you. Hey, what can we do to fix it? Okay? Um, and I would say to you today that if you're here or you're watching and you don't understand necessarily what it really means to have a personal relationship with Christ where your sins have been forgiven, you've received eternal life, we'd love to talk to you about that. You know, reach out to us. You know, send us a message. We'd love to help you understand it because ultimately this is a hard issue that the best way to resolve it starts with receiving Christ as Savior. Okay? All right. So let me, I'm going to give you, it's going to sound terrible, seven things. They're going to go by real fast. Okay? First one is evaluate your own life. We already talked about it. Evaluate your own life. Be open with God about that. The second one is this. Respond to those, these issues in a way that is consistent with who you are. If you're the kind of person that says, yeah, I want to go hold a sign and protest, go do it. If you're a person who needs to sit down and write pages, that's me. Okay? Do it. Write a letter. Have a conversation. Whatever. But engage with it. If for you, it might be, I just, I'm going to go to God and pray. Right? Whatever. But do something in your mind. Respond to this some way. Okay? Third thing. Remember these issues when you enter your prayer closet and consider them when you enter the voting booth. Okay? Both of those. I'm not telling you how to, I don't know. But the idea is that it's an issue that should be part of our consideration. Certainly when we go to prayer and then when we go to vote. Okay? All right, fourth thing, when the subject comes up, be ready to speak up. You're in a conversation with people and you hear views that are racist and it's, it's actually an appropriate time for you to talk. Say, you know, hey, I, I just don't feel that that's really the right way to look at this. And speak up, people need to be graciously challenged. And sometimes it's amazing how people, oh, well, yeah, I, uh, whatever. Uh, or it may be that somebody is taking a stand for what is right, and you, you chime in and be supportive, right? But be ready to speak up. When the subject comes up, be ready to speak up. Number five, remember, you don't have to fully understand to genuinely care. That thought came to me this past week as I was, I was writing and thinking, and that's right. I, I don't fully understand. I never will because I said I haven't lived there. But that doesn't mean I can't genuinely care, Okay? And number um, six, follow Jesus. That's always a statement, right? But think about it. Follow Jesus. Where's he going in this? And then finally, love like Jesus so that others can see him in you. Think about your interactions with people and all these things. Could they see Jesus in you? And the Jesus that they're seeing in you, would they be drawn to him? All right. Lots of heavy stuff. A lot of things we have to deal with. I want you guys to go out there and live like Christians. That the kind of Christians that turned the world upside down because it was so radical of how it approached life.
so different than the culture around them. Let's go to the Lord. And by the way, I'd say, if you have any questions, I'd be glad to talk to you about it, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and that you make these things so clear, Lord. We do need your spirit to help us to understand and help us to see how these things apply in the specific circumstances of each of our own lives. But I pray, Father, that we would just lean into you in all of this, to your word, and that we would also lean toward those who are hurting, whether we fully agree with them or not. (laughs) Thank you that you moved in our direction when we didn't agree with you at all. I pray we'll live that way, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank you guys. God bless you. Have a great week.